Thank you so much for checking out our podcast. We hope today's message encourages, inspires, and empowers you to follow after Jesus like never before. Before we get into today's teaching, I want to invite you to join us live at one of our services at any of our three campuses in West Virginia, or join us as we stream live online. For more information or to save your seat at one of our services, visit our website, iheartchurch.online. Now let's check out today's message. The past couple weeks, uh, Melody has been talking about good grief, and, and you've been talking about different tools and different things to kind of process and walk through uh, some of the hurts from our past or, or grief that has been in our life, and we've been hearing about so many different people who have uh, been allowing God into some areas that realize that they had some, some areas that they may have been a little sensitive or reactive, and, and they've invited God into those areas, and, and uh, it's just awesome to see what God is doing as we do that. But for some people, as you start that process, I know a lot of times when, when God speaks something to us and, and it may be something that may be a little new or different or, or something that he just really speaks to our heart to take that step of faith and, and begin to implement or, or walk in, so many times we get like discouraged because it seems like we start doing the right thing and all of a sudden now the situation is worse than it was before. Anybody experienced that before? Like God gives you a, a, a message and you're just so ready to implement it and you go start walking it out and it just seems like as you're walking it out, everything just breaks open like for the negative and it's just one thing after another that just bombards you. And so some of you, after listening to the messages and, and trying to help process the grief and, and different things that you're walking through, some of you may be like, why in the world did I ever open that can of worms? I, I was better off without dealing with that. I mean, you, you may be, sound kind of like the children of Israel. You know, they, as they're walking out and following God, how many times did they stop and say, it was better for us in Egypt when I was in bondage? And, and so I want to speak a word this morning to kind of encourage you and if you were in the 11 o'clock service last week, uh, we actually arrived right after Melody finished speaking and I ran in here for the worship part of the service. And, and, and so I walk in and Pastor Q's over there and he looks at me and he's like, hey, do you want to close? I was like, nah, <laughs> I'm, like, I, I'm done. Like we had, we had left the Dream Center at 10 o'clock in the morning. Had some, had to kill some time out. And so we did some different sightseeing stuff around the area. And, and then, uh, our flight was supposed to get on the flight and fly red eye overnight to, to come in. And it kept getting delayed and got no sleep on the plane. And finally arriving in Charlotte about seven, seven thirty and have to drive up here. And like the whole way back, like my eyes are rolling in the back of my head. And I'm like, whoa, whoa. And I start talking to Dell and try to make sure Dell stays awake so that we, we make it. And so we when I came in here, man, I felt like just exhausted. But as we get into worship and stuff, I felt like God shared something. I shared it at the end of the service, but uh, some of you may not have been here, and then some of you may have already left because it was at the very, very end. 
But I felt like God kind of gave me an example. And so I told Q, I was like, hey, I'm going to share something. I want to share that with you. You know, last year, uh, I had to do an elbow surgery on my, my elbow because I was having a lot of tendonitis, having a lot of issues with my elbow and, and you know, having numbness and losing feeling. And, and it was like hindering my everyday life. Like I couldn't pick up my kids. I couldn't hold things. I would come in here and thank God for COVID because I could give a fist bump and nobody would be offended by it because if you shook my hand, like it would shoot pain all the way up my arm and, and it would just be in like, you know, major pain, just little things, even just writing my name was, was becoming so difficult and everything. And so we had to do the surgery and we had tried for a while to kind of mask it. Yeah, I had three or four shots in my elbow to, to and, and then I'd get a little bit of improvement for a period of time and then it would just flare right back up again. And so finally, it had to come to the point where we had to do the surgery. And so when they did the surgery, they had to cut a big gash here about two inches wide in my elbow and, and go in and, and detach the tendon and scratch out all the dead and then debrided tendon and everything like that and then reattach it to the bone and drill holes into the bone to release bone marrow so that it could heal and put me in a cast and go through therapy and everything. And, and I can tell you this, like the pain after surgery was way worse than the pain before surgery. But yet now today, because I had the surgery, I have no pain whatsoever on that outside because it's been healed and it's been fixed. And I feel like there are many people that it's much like that, that, that when it comes to things that are deep down, like we don't realize how much it affects our life, the, the way we respond and we react and we get angry or we get frustrated and stuff until somebody starts putting their feelings on it. And then we have the option, we can try to give it a little shot and hope that it goes away, but realize that over a period of time, it's going to come right back because we didn't deal with the deeper issue. And I feel like that that's what God is wanting is to bring not just a band-aid to what's going on in our life, but really get in and, and expose that deeper, that deeper issue so that he can bring healing so that it doesn't affect us in our day-to-day -day life. And so many people, though, as you start that process, and some of you, like, I mean, there's been a lot of people that have been going through different things over the past really year and a half that God's been uh, doing, doing a, a work of inner healing and, you know, just freedom and different things in people's hearts and lives. And, and, and as you do that over a period of time, sometimes it can get a little discouraging. Like after my surgery and, and I couldn't even like move my wrist like this because everything had tightened up from being in a cast and couldn't even pick up any weight whatsoever. Like it became frustrating. It became uh, uh, discouraging as you're going through the process. And I felt like this morning and this week, especially as I was praying, that there is a, a lot of people that are experiencing that wave of discouragement. Maybe they started a small group and, and things started off really good with the small group and, and God was moving, but then the numbers start slowly dwindling and, and then they start feeling like they're being ineffective and it, and it just, it becomes work and then it just kind of fades away or maybe they're serving in a food truck or serving somewhere. Maybe it's just something practically like getting up and spending time with God of developing that daily relationship and, and time in the word. And as you do it for a little while, it's good but then when the emotions and the excitement of whatever you're doing wears off and you don't see an immediate benefit, then many people become greatly discouraged. 
And the minute that they start feeling discouraged, they want to quit. And then because they want to quit, then the enemy comes in and starts off, oh, well, you're just a weak Christian and you're horrible. How would you want to quit? Why can't you? And he just starts bombarding their mind, making them feel like failures. Anybody ever been there before? You want to step out. You want to do something for God. And then now I feel like I'm a failure because I can't do it. These people do it and their groups are going so great. And so I just must be a lesser Christian. I must not be spiritually mature as them. And you just start beating yourself up and weighing yourself down and you get discouraged to the point where you want to feel like you want to quit. I want to encourage you this morning with a story about a man who, when you look at scripture, he was a, he was a man of God. Like, we'll talk about Elijah. And when you think about the life of Elijah in 1 Kings 18 you're, and, and 17, 18, 19 is where you find his story. And it, he starts off with going to the king and saying, it's not going to rain until I say it's going to rain. Now, how many know that takes a little bit of boldness? Let's modernize a little bit. You walk up to President Biden and saying, I'm shutting down the heavens. It's not going to rain in the United States until I say so. You are either crazy or it's going to take some boldness to be able to take that step to be able to say something like that. And that's what Elijah did. But here's the thing. It didn't rain for three and a half years it didn't rain. So it wasn't just something that he said. It was like, oh, that dude's crazy anyway. You know, you don't have to worry about that. But it literally didn't rain. And then once it's time that it's going to rain again, he goes and challenges all the prophets of Baal and who, who served Ahab, King Ahab and, every, and Jezebel. He challenges them to a thing and he takes them up on Mount Carmel and, and they're up there and they're, uh, he, they have two sacrifices and he's like, we're going to prove which God is real, either the God of Israel or your God. And guess what? You can go first. So they go around and they're, they're cutting themselves and they're screaming and you're yelling and they're praying and they're crying out. And as they're doing this, now this isn't like one-on-one -on -one type thing. It says there were 400 prophets uh, of, of Baal, 450 prophets of Asherah. They, you know, there's all these people that are there. And, and so he's up against them. And so as they're going around, they're praying and everything. He's mocking them. He's like, hey, maybe you ought to speak a little bit louder because I, maybe, maybe your God's asleep and he just can't hear you. Maybe, maybe he went on vacation and, and, and you know, you, you just can't get in touch with him. He even, he even went like, maybe, maybe he's sitting on the potty and, you know, he's got the ventilation fan on right now and he can't hear anything over that. I, I mean, bold. And he lets him go all day long and then it comes his turn. He's like, all right, that's enough. It's my turn. But I want you to take water and I want you to douse my my sacrifice with water and they pour water and then they pour it again and then they pour it again to where it's just running off. And it's not like pouring gasoline or kerosene on and you're trying to light a fire. Well, you know, you pour water on paper and you're not getting that thing to light. But then he stands back and he prays and God sends fire from heaven. When was the last time you called down fire from heaven? I mean... This dude, when was the last time you stopped it from raining for three and a half? This dude's a man of God. Like he heard God, he knew God. And then after that, he kills all the prophets of Baal and Asherah and, and does away with them. But after that, Elijah finds out 
that Jezebel is out to kill him. And this is where we're going to pick it up. 1 Kings 19, verse 2. It says, Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, so may the gods do to me more. And if you, and also if you, <clears throat> if you do not make your life as one of these by this time tomorrow. In other words, you killed all my prophets, I'm coming to kill you. Now here's the thing, this isn't new news. This is why Elijah had to go hide for the three and a half years. This is why he went to the brook. This is why he went to the widow. It's because the king wanted to kill him the entire time. Even when he's coming back to go before the king again, he runs into Obadiah. And Obadiah is like, the king's going to kill you. And, and uh, if, if, if I go tell him that you are, are here, he's going to kill me for not bringing you with me. So he knew there was already a, a death sentence and a bounty on his head. But this time it says, verse 3, he was afraid and he rose. He rose up and uh, he ran for his life. And he came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and he left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. And he came and he sat underneath a broom tree. And he asked that he might die, saying, it is enough now, O Lord. Take my life, for I am no better than my father. Now, I want you to notice something here. What changed? He's always, always had somebody wanting to kill him, but what changed? There's something that begins to change in Elijah's, and it's his mindset. Now, before he knew he was the prophet of God and he would speak boldly about being a prophet of God, but now he says this. He says, I am no better than my father's. So he's starting to believe a lie that the enemy is speaking over him. It goes on in verse 5. It says, and then he laid down and he slept under the tree. And behold, an angel of the Lord touched him and said, arise and eat. Come on, do we have anybody, when you get discouraged or depressed or, or whatever, you just want to take a nap? We got anybody who's going to admit that? that? Elijah's the same way. He's just going to take a nap. So he goes and he lays down. And all of a sudden, he, gets, he feels somebody tap him on the shoulder, and it's not his servant. It's not his mom or, or a child or anybody like that. It is an angel that is there, and he says, arise and eat. Verse 6 says, he turned and he looked, and behold, there was a cake uh, uh, baked on hot stones with jars of water. Now, I know if Pastor Q woke up, an angel of the Lord woke him up and said, I got cake for you. Like, he would jump up and be doing shouting and dancing and everything like he would be excited, right? Think about how you all would be. That, that uh, you're laying down and you get woken up and it's not your little child waking you up. Mom, 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 I'm hungry. Mom, mom, mom. But there's an angel standing there and he brought cake. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it says he ate it. He drank and he laid down again. Like he's so discouraged at this point because he's just believing this lie. He just wanted to quit. In verse 7, it says, Then the angel of the Lord came back a second time, and he touched him and he said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. Verse 8 says, He arose and he ate and he drank. And in the, the strength of that food, he went 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Horeb, the mountain of God. And you talk about some superfood. Like, that's not like no acai or dragon fruit or any of those other superfood. That, that is some superfood cake that he just ate there. For 40 days and 40 nights, he travels all the way to the mountain of, of God in Horeb. 
But then when he gets there, he, 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 goes, he finds himself in a cave, verse 9. It says, he came to a cave and he lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? Now, any of you that have been here over the past couple weeks and heard Melody's messages, she basically based them off of when God asks you questions. And sometimes we need to even ask ourselves questions about why we react or why we respond or why we think the way that we think and all of those, those different things like that. And here, Elijah he, like, he goes to the mountain of God, but he, he didn't just go on and do the next thing that God called him to do. He goes and sits in a cave. And God comes up to him and is like, Elijah, what are you doing, man? Why are you here? Why, why did you stop? Why aren't you continuing to do? I believe there's many of you that you've tried to do things, you've stepped out, you've taken steps of faith, you start doing different things, and then you find yourself like it's not working. The enemy comes in and he begins to whisper lies into our head that, that you're never gonna be able to change, you're always gonna be the same, you're a failure, you're a mistake, it will work for other people, but it won't work for you, you're not good enough, you're, you're not smart enough, you're not whatever enough, and he'll come in and whisper all those things to the point in where we're, we just find ourselves like Elijah. Many of you are probably feel like you're like Elijah today, just sitting in a cave. I'm telling you, God is saying, man, why are you here, Steve? Why are you here, Eddie? Why are you here, Jeremy? Why, why are you right here, April? Why are you here, Elise? Why are you here? What are you doing here? In a cave. Hiding. There's so much to do. Why, why are you here? And Elijah answers the question, verse 10. He says, behold, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the prophet of Israel has uh, forsaken your covenant. They've thrown down your altars and they've killed your prophets with, with the sword. And I, even only I, Alone, I'm left. I'm the, I'm the only one. Now, we're going to find out later, as you continue to read, that God said he had 7,000 that had not bowed his knees. to. The, so he's not the only one. We know, for, for reading the other passages of the scripture, that Obadiah were hiding men, was hiding men in caves and stuff to keep them away. So he's not the only person left. So what is this again? This is another lie. That the enemy whispers into his ear, you're the only one. And he does the same thing to Christians and believers. You're the only one that is still struggling with your past. You're the only one that still struggles with lust. You're the only one that still struggles with alcohol. You're the only one that still struggles with that pain. It, yeah, look at all these other people. Look at what God's doing in them. But you're the only one that's not getting this. And then he wants to try to isolate you and wants to try to make, it, make you feel all alone, make you feel like you're defective, like there's got to be something wrong with you because you're the only one. I mean, that's what Peter said in 1 Peter. He said that, that the enemy, be sober, be vigilant, for your enemy is, is as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. We've talked about it before, how a lion doesn't just go run up in the middle of a, of, of a, a pack of animals or anything. He, they try to isolate one. And that's exactly what the enemy does. And that's exactly what he's doing here with Elijah. You're the only one. There's nobody else that's like you. 
Everyone else is dead. Everyone else has quit. Everyone else is gone. It's just you. It says that Elijah stayed in the cave and and as he was there, it said that an earthquake went by and a wind went by and a fire went by. But it said in all those different things that God wasn't in it. But yet there was a still small voice that just spoke to Elijah. And it says that when he heard this voice, that he wrapped his face in a cloak and he went out and stood at the entrance of the cave and behold, he heard a voice come to him again. What are you doing here, Elijah? Can I tell you something? Some of you think, if I can just avoid answering God one time, if I can just, you know, ignore the phone call or send it to the lead or not listen to the, you know, send him to voicemail or whatever. Like that's the way we try to treat God. He starts speaking to us and starts asking us questions. We're like, oh no, that's too personal. Nope, we're gonna, we're gonna send you to, you, you can talk to my voicemail on that. You, you can send me a text message on that. I, I'm, I'm ignoring that, that phone call. And we think that we can walk away from it. But here God again goes to Elijah. He's already sent two angels. And now he comes to him twice and asks him the question, what are you doing here? And so Elijah answers him. He says, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel, they have forsaken the covenant and they have thrown down your altars and they have killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only am left. And they seek to take my life as well, and to take it away from me. What is he doing? He said word for word the exact same thing that he just said. What does this show us? It shows us that Elijah has heard the lie so much in his head that he believes it's the truth. You see, that's what the enemy does is he comes and bombards your mind like over and over and over and over and over with the same thoughts over and over and over and over and over and just keeps hitting and hitting and hitting and hitting until the point of where he gets us to where what he's lying about, we're speaking the same thing again. And now you see that he's kind of worn Elijah down to the point of where it's not like he's wanting to do the will of God and fulfill the will of God and everything, but it's to the point where he, he can't even get up. He can't function. He can't do anything because he's believed the lie so many times. He's had an angel tap him on the shoulder twice. He's heard the voice of God clearly speak to him twice. And through all of those things, he still wants to quit. He just wants to go hide in a cave because he's accepted the lies being true. I believe there's many people that are listening to this message that not only have you accepted the enemy's lies being true, but you've even started to repeat it. Anybody willing to admit you've repeated some of the lies of the enemy? I have. And see, in our life, we can either repeat what God says about us or we can repeat the lies of what the enemy says about us. You know the Bible when it says that God's word will not return void, but it will go forth and accomplish that which he sent it to do. You know how God's word returns to him? Through us. 
through us speaking it. In a prayer meeting the other day on Friday, we had prayer meeting every Friday at 9 o'clock, and I just felt like God wanted me to deal with that issue of people who are believing lies. And so I had them write down some stuff. And we may even do this at prayer night because uh, I, I feel like there's people that just need to just walk through some of this, these things practically. But I had them walk, you know, write down those, those lies and, and everything. And then they, they had, and they wrote down what God spoke about to them and, and, and they tore it in half. And I was like, God has given you in your hands right now. You've got life and death. You've got truth. You've got uh, words that are lies and you've got words of truth. And God says, you get to choose which one you're going to walk in, which one you're going to repeat. And because Elijah had come to the point where he was convinced that the lie was the truth, in verse 15 it says, Then the Lord said to him, Then go on and return to the wilderness in Damascus. When you arrive, I want you to anoint Hazael to be king of Syria, and Jehu, the son of Nimshi, uh, to anoint to be king over Israel, and Elisha, the son of Shapheth, of Abel, Mahala, you shall anoint to be prophet in your place. Elijah, as long as you're going to lay down and just believe the lie of the enemy, then I'm going to have to call somebody else to do what I called you to do. Because here's the thing, God loves the lost and the hurting people too much to leave them lost and hurting because we don't want to get out of the cave. And we have to make that decision in our hearts today. Are we going to wake up and be who God's called us to be and do what God's called us to do? Or are we going to take a nap, hit the snooze button, and allow somebody else to walk in the dream and the plan that God had laid out for us? This is something that you need to realize there's not a single person in here that doesn't have, if, if you are a believer in Jesus and you have put your faith in Jesus, then you have more power inside of you than what the enemy has. I want you to realize something here. The devil knows that he can't beat you. I mean, think about what the word of God says. We are more than conquerors through Christ who loved us and laid his life down for us. It says that they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and the word of the testimony, and they loved not their lives even to the point of death. It says that what shall stand against us? If God is for us, then who can be against us? And nothing can separate us from the love of God. It, it says that, that uh, we're the head and not the tail. It says that greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Throughout scripture, you see that when you have become I'm a believer, the Spirit of God comes and dwells inside of you, and He is greater than any demon or darkness that the enemy can throw your way. Greater is He that is in you than He that is in the world, and all authority God has given unto you to trample over the enemy. 
But if we know we can't lose, then why are so many of us still hiding in the cave? Why are so many of us still so hesitant to get involved, so hesitant to speak truth to other people? It's because we believe the lie. And as long as we continue to believe the lies like, uh, like Elisha did, or Elijah did, then it's going to hold us in a cave and hold us and keep us from fulfilling what God has called us to do. Because the enemy knows if he can't beat you, then he's just going to try to discourage you. And if he can't discourage you, he'll distract you. And every person in here has a choice. You can just lay down, take a nap. <sighs> Pastor Brandon tapping on your shoulder. What's he saying this morning? Oh, that sounds like a message you preached before. I've heard that one. Uh. What's that? There, there's food to eat. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll get in a word later. I'll get my bread and stuff later. Let me hit snooze. Oh, I've got to get involved in a group and outreach. People are crazy. I don't like them anyway. I'm good. No. That's for other people. That's for weak people. I'm good. I don't need that. And we just keep laying down and taking a nap. But there will come a point where God will just have to say, well, I'm not going to let those people that I wanted Marcel to reach not be reached. Jonathan, why don't you go take care of this? See, he uses discouragement because he wants you to give up your place. And I watch this when people step into ministry all the time. In fact, most of the people who want to sign up to come teach at our school, I try to talk them out of it because it's like, listen, you, you got to realize yeah, the environment's different. You get to pray, you get to share scripture, you can do all that stuff and no problems. You don't have to worry about any of that stuff. What you do have to realize is that the enemy doesn't like what you're doing by spreading the word of God to students and praying for them and everything. And so he's going to come bombard your mind with lie after lie after lie after lie after lie after lie to try to convince you to walk away. I watch it all the time in ministry where people start out on fire for God. I'm going to go, I'm going to go do this. And then they start doing that for a little bit and things don't work out the way that they want. And there's not as much money in it as what they thought there was going to be. I thought there was money in preaching. I don't, you know, I don't see that. All this stuff. And, people that they loved and invested in and poured into. Ah, I'm done with you and turn and walk away. And so they get discouraged. And the enemy starts coming in. That's because you, if you were a better leader, if you were, 
if you were more holy, if you were smarter, if you were this, if you were that. And he starts get you to the point where you believe the lie to where you walk away and eliminate yourself. Listen, dads, he does this to you in your home. You read scriptures like the husband is the head of the house. And so because of the way some people have taught the word, they, they kind of forget some other passages that are in there, but we're going to look at it. The husband's the head of the house, so they think that means, all right, now, woman, you're going to submit. And all you kids are going to do what I say, and so I'm going to work, and then when I come home, dinner's going to be on the table. And then when I'm done with dinner, I'm heading to the lazy boy. Have my, my lemonade, have my remote control there and keep the kids quiet so I can watch the game tonight. And they think that's what it means to be head of the house. And then when they try to operate like that and it doesn't work, because <laughs> they're trying to operate in a scripture out of context, and so there's no power in that. And when it starts blowing up, then they just want to quit on God altogether. Well, I tried to lead my family and it didn't work. But in that same passage where it talks about husbands being the head of the house, Jesus told exactly how they're supposed to lead. In Ephesians 5, it says, Husbands, you need to love your wives as Christ loved the church and be willing to give himself up for. When you think about the way that Jesus led the church in John 13, when he's leading his disciples, what did he do? He went down, he took up the towel, he washed his disciples' feet, he told them the thing that you just saw me do, you need to do it also because no servant is greater than their master. You see, Jesus being the one who took the sacrifice, who made the sacrifice and laid down his life for others. Men, what it means to be the head of the house, it means that if somebody's got to take the hit, it's going to be you. That if somebody's going to carry the load, it's going to be you. That if somebody has to do without, it's going to be you. Because you're there to protect your bride. You're there to protect your family. And that doesn't sound as cool as being the person who gets to sit back in the lazy boy and everybody wait on him. There's many people who want to go into ministry and they want to be the senior pastor so that they can climb that ladder because they think it means that there's all these people that are going to serve them. But no, 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 it just means there's all those people that they've got to serve. And that they're responsible for, and that they've got to invest in, and that they've got to speak the truth, even if they get mad and leave. Because their love for them trumps whether they have to preach to an empty chair every now and then or not. Guys, this church could easily be 100% full. All I'd have to do is change the message that I preach. But I can't do it because God didn't tell me, go plant a church and fill the church. The Great Commission wasn't go have people repeat after you and pray a prayer. The Great Commission was go make disciples 
And out of those disciples, teach them to obey my way. Tell them to cast out demons. Tell them to heal the sick. Tell them to do the same things that you've seen me do. You do them also. That's the thing that it says. And so people don't want to hear messages that say, listen, you need to lay down your life. You need to take up your cross daily and follow him. Because that's painful and that's inconvenient. But that's what Jesus said. And there's many people that would rather have someone tell them blessings and prosperity and riches and everything's good. Just pray a prayer and read your Bible every now and then. Give a little bit in the offering. Everything's fine. But yet that message causes so many people to forfeit the place and the authority that God wants to bring them into. And then as people begin to try, he's going to put obstacles. He's going to put barriers because he knows, he knows what's on the other side of complete obedience to the word of God. And so he's going to try to discourage you to take you out of your place. But you've got to be determined. I'm not letting anything take me out of my place. I know who God's calling me to be. fulfill his perfect will for my life I'm not going to be distracted I'm not going to be discouraged I'm not going to take words that people speak over me as truth I'm going to go to God and see what his truth I'm not going to stay stuck in grief and in things I'm going to get up I'm not going to stay stuck in sin and mistakes I'm going to get up and I'm going to keep moving I'm going to keep walking if I mess up I'm going to get up and I'm going to confess it and I'm going to move on and I'm going to pray with one another because it says that if we confess our sins one to another that's when we can find healing so afraid to let anybody know when something's really going on in our life. You know how I know? Because when nobody's looking, when I tell y'all every head bowed, nobody looking around, y'all know that part of the end of service. And if I tell y'all to do that, and I say, raise your hand, hands fly up everywhere. Like just all over the place. And then when I say, listen, let's take it one step farther. And let's bring that up here to the altar so that you can talk with somebody so that they can pray with you. All them hands. They're not here. And it's because they believe the lie. I, I, I can do it on my own. I don't, I don't need it. Look, we need each other. We need each other. You need to be part of groups. You need people that are praying for you. You need to serve with other believers. Because when we find our place doing that is when we find our peace. It's when we find our fulfillment. Remember, I was, it's, we're on Skid Row. And this guy 
was, he came out of his tent and we were talking with him and somebody had talked with him for a second and then they asked me to come over and pray with him. So I went over and I prayed with him real quick and uh, he, was, he was a little bit afraid of some things and stuff. So I go and I pray with him and, and stuff. And, and then, you know, it was like, hey man, it's good to see you. And we kind of went on down the road. And then the guy who was with us from the Dream Center, he was bringing up, we had one ahead of us and one behind us. And the guy who was with us, he was bringing up the inn and, and he kind of waved me back and I went over to him. And, and uh, so he introduces me because it's a guy that he knew. And that's one thing that blew my mind is how many of these people, like they knew everybody because they served in the same community week in and week out. They knew everybody's name, every kid, you know, the homeless, everything. They, they knew them because they're so consistent in the streets and in the community. He introduces me and he tells me, he's like, hey man, this guy's really battling with fear. I was like, yeah, I, was, I just talked to him a minute ago. And then the guy's like, and somebody pulled a gun on me. I was able to wrestle it around, but I hurt my arm and like, I can't go anywhere because I know they know where I'll be. And so he starts opening it up a little bit more. And the guy's like, I, I want you to pray with him. And I, everything in my mind, I just prayed with him. Like, <laughs> why do I, I just did that, you know? But I felt like he was giving me that opportunity. And so I just prayed. And I was like, God, I just pray right now, Lord, you protect him. You put your angels around him. And God, I pray that your peace will guard his heart and his mind. And he went, oh. And he just sat back in his seat. And then I kind of stopped for a second. He's like, oh, that word, peace. Oh, man. And I was like, listen, I got to tell you something. There's a man who's the Prince of Peace, and his name is Jesus. And that peace that you feel right now in this moment, you can feel every day of your life. In fact, if you ask him into your heart, he's, he brings not only peace, I said, he brings love, joy, peace. And as I'm saying, he's like, oh, patience, kindness, gentleness. And he just sits back and just, I'm just saying the word of God to him. And he literally is melting back into his seat. And this is a guy that they've been trying to get out of the streets for a long time. They had it set up and he didn't go. And so I looked at him and I was like, listen, you need to go with these people. You need to, you need to be a part of this. Because what you feel right now, you can feel every day by developing that relationship with Christ. He offers this to you. And he stood up and he started kind of walking with us. And you can see, it was just like, I got a couple things I got to take care of first. But come, come find me next week. Come find me next week. Because I want to talk to you next week. Guys, we don't know the power that we have just by speaking the word of God. That's why the enemy is so afraid of us finding healing, finding. You know, every ministry that we did at there, like food trucks, all the different ministries that we did, I stood back and let all the kids just do all the, the ministry stuff because I wanted them to have the experience. The one place I didn't was Skid Row because that was out of my box and out of my comfort zone. Because I am not the, I, I'm a, if you come in here, I'll come up and talk to you and stuff because I'm a pastor of church and I'll, I'll, I'll get to meet you and stuff. But if I, somebody on the streets, like I'm not just gonna walk up to a random person very often and be like, hey man, what's your name? How are you doing? How can I pray for you today? That's just not my vein. And, and so it was stretching me to be out there. 
just showed me that so many of us give up our place and the authority that we have because of discouragement, because of distraction, because of fear. And I'm challenging you, don't give up your place. Step out, be who God's called you to be. Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, be sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past messages. If you like what you're hearing, please rate and share. For more content, to connect with us, or if you'd like to support this ministry by giving, visit our website, iheartchurch.online. We love you and have a great day.